0: You're listening to the Self-Made is a Myth, Make a Difference Together show with your host, Coach Tim Campsall, where we talk with successful business owners to hear the stories of their journeys in building their successful businesses. And more importantly, we recognize the folks who helped them excel because we know that achieving business success is not something we can do on our own.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Coach Tim Campbell, and I'm excited to have a fellow business owner from Indiana with us today. My guest has competed in over a dozen adventure races, so we're going to want to learn about that. In his downtime, he enjoys spending time with his girls and doing yard work, and he's most proud of his faith in Jesus Christ. So awesome. Amen to that. It's my pleasure to welcome Kenny to the show today. Hello, Kenny.
2: Hey,
1: how's it going, Tim? I am awesome. Thanks for asking. Well, hey, let's start with having you introduce yourself. Tell us a bit of your personal story, like where you were born and live, about your family and hobbies.
2: Yeah. So born and raised in Lafayette, Indiana, and spent more or less the first 22 years of my life there. Got my undergrad from Purdue University, um, and while I was there, raised by my mom with my brother, had a great childhood, went to the local high school played sports, had friends, kind of just enjoyed what I would describe as the normal American life, dare I say. And now fast forward, like you kind of said at the introduction, I have a family of my own. And what we very much enjoy to do is we like to do adventure races, which are like the the Tough Mudders, the uh, Warrior Dash, the Spartan Runs, all those sort of races is kind of what makes up that adventure race world, so to speak.
1: Fantastic. What's your favorite um, type of adventure race?
2: Uh, well, so if you were to, it, my answer's changed.
0: It got <laughs> me as
2: a, a young man, like coming out of college, which where I was much more competitive about it. And even the races themselves have kind of, dare I say, changed their genre. Like when Tough Mutter, for example, was first coming out, it was, it was kind of sold as a teamwork team building event, but for, other individuals you know it's a race and there there's the world's toughest mudder and it can get very competitive so that was in the vein I was in trained for it loved it so I liked it more or less imagine a 12 mile run with obstacles and mud between you and the finish line so not quite half a marathon but almost with call it rough terrain (laughs) Uh, fast forward to today though and tough mudders taken a much more I would say Team building without the competitive side, like where they they're they're really not concerned with who wins as much as just helping people through the course, because a lot of the obstacles people can't do without the assistance of another. Mm-hmm. And given that my girls are getting older, my oldest is nine, she hasn't done one yet. But in the not too distant future, I know we'll do one. And obviously, my that'll probably be my favorite one ever. Given <laughs>
0: yeah, her <sure.
2: laughs> and she's competitive, so she's going to want to do well, but you know, it's obviously I'm going to be dad and I'm not a racer. And
1: that's <laughs> I, I've had friends who have done that. And just the idea of having all that mud
2: on me, it's just like, yeah, no, thanks. I'll just be a spectator. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you can see there's definitely some people who you can kind of meander through the obstacles to minimize that mud, but then, you know, like Kind of once you've done it quite a few times, you almost take pride in how much money (laughs) get on me between now and the finish line.
1: (laughs) Kenny, is there a funny story that your family likes to tell about you that you'd
2: be willing to share? Uh, You know, I I don't really have, I would say, a specific story, as much as just my uh, general little clicks we all have. I know I, I have the tendency to. When we're talking about something and I, I think I'm right, I hate, I hate doing this, but I'll say like, if you're explaining something to me, what, whatever the thing may be, and I think I know better than you, I'll always start with, well, actually, and I, I guess <laughs> according to my loved ones, I really, I very much enunciate the actually, <laughs> so much so that they'll, you know, before I can even get into whatever we're talking about, they're kind of calling me out, like, you sound like an idiot.
0: So
2: that good humility to have around myself.
1: Yes. I appreciate you sharing. So Kenny, tell us, um, how did the business come about? And at what point did you have the confidence that you could run your own business?
2: Yeah. So it was always an aspiration of mine. Um, And like I said, I got my undergrad from Purdue. I graduated in 2008. Not the ideal time (laughs) to want to join the investment management universe when, you know, Kind of the the bloodbath that was taking shape for a right. lot of people back then, right. and you know, ironically, the job I had lined up, my offer was actually revoked in April of that year oh, I was no. graduating. So you know, we're roughly 30 days before graduation, and I jokingly say I was fired before I was ever hired. <laughs> but fast forward, you know, the the only call it investment job I could find was being a broker at Charles Schwab, and now. I say that with the utmost respect to Schwab, perfectly fine company to work for. But at the end of the day, you know, a stockbroker at Schwab is somebody working in a call center helping people reset their passwords. And that's just not something I wanted to do. Uh, so I inevitably still wanted to get on that investment management track. And so I started studying for my CFA and eventually wound up at Chicago at a firm called Geneva Advisors, where I very much enjoyed my time there and learned a lot from um my direct boss at the time, as well as the people around me. And one of the things I took away, just kind of watching, dare I say, the back office Mm -hmm. of how an investment, because I mean, like the, behind the curtain investment stuff, the, the analytics, I got it. Very comfortable with that, but you know, there's more to a business than just the stuff you like to do, so to speak. And I kind of saw the, dare I call it the underbelly of uh, what it takes. And while it definitely takes extra effort outside of the stuff you want to do. It was stuff I felt was very much in my realm of capabilities of doing specifically when, and you know, I won't say this for all industries, but my industry technology is becoming more and more of the norm. And because that's becoming more and more of the norm, a lot of those not fun tasks can be automated and or pushed out to a third party. So I kind of saw, all right, the, the things I'm deficient in, or I don't want to do, or I think there's people better than me at. I can easily find a third party to do it, and/or software that you know check the box and move on, and I can actually focus on what I want. In addition, that so that kind of laid the groundwork that all right, I know I can do the call it inner workings of running this company. The other thing that pushed me over the edge is so I was in Chicago. I I, I don't remember if I said that at the onset in Chicago at Geneva Advisors. And I very much believe in what we were doing. And given I was born and raised in Lafayette, I knew what my, the bulk of people have at their disposal in Central Indiana is not what we were doing. It's the broker model. It's it's the uh, Jones. It's the Merrill Lynch. And even outside of brokers, it also tends to be financial planners. And I I I mean I'm I'm respectful, but I'm going to say this with the utmost respect. At the end of the day we are not a believer in mutual funds if you want to own the vanguard 500 fund have at it you don't need to hire me to do that so doing all our investing in-house i know would make us stand out in addition to like on the financial planning side where that tends to 98 percent of the equation tim is do you spend less than you make like <laughs> shocker right if you want to pay me a few thousand dollars to tell you that i guess I, you can But those two very, dare I say, simplistic uh, practices, I thought were being overlooked for what could be a greater thing in terms of the appreciation of the underlying client's account. And so that's what's been our focus. And I mean, we can talk about our unique value adds, but what we kind of postulate in that area that sets us apart from our competitors, specifically in this geographic region, because I'll be the first to say it. If you live in Chicago or the East Coast or the West Coast, you can find people like me who have a similar philosophy. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a unicorn, but call it fortunately, unfortunately, for central Indiana, we are. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, Something you mentioned um, a little bit ago that I really want to you know, reinforce and highlight to folks is, you talked through the idea that there's some things that you don't like doing. There's some things that maybe you're not the, the best at and you've figured out, Hey, why don't I hire someone or outsource that so I can focus on the stuff where, you know, I'm going to shine and be able to add the most value. So for folks listening, that's key, right? You, you do mm-hmm. have to think through the stuff that you just shouldn't have on your plate and find the person that you can give it to. So it sounds like that's enabled you to be able to, Really hone in
2: on where you can add the most value. Is that a fair assumption? Oh, I, and I would say if you like told me what specific kind of task that would be in my world, compliance. So you got to do it. I'm not obviously you got to do it. There is yeah. no if, ands, or buts about it. But given that we're a fiduciary and we have to do what's best for the in client period, that bar is much higher for us. So we got to do it. I know it's super important, it's very boring, <laughs> it's not fun. And even more so like the, the people that are hiring Titan, they're not hiring us bec- for us to do our compliance work.
1: Yeah. So
2: right. yeah, that compliance task, well, you have to do it. It's a necessity. You don't get to just overlook it. Finding a automated process and or a third party to kind of say, automate the things you can as well as then send you reminders on the things that are, you just got to occasionally do this and, it stinks, but you got to do it. it. is much more efficient than me trying to be my own compliance officer, trying to remember a bunch of stuff that I've never done over my entire career. Yes. And the great
1: thing is, you said it's it's a horrible, boring task, but there are people that love it. So
2: let's get Fair it enough, right? Fair enough. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. Yes. So Kenny, tell us about more about the company. What's the name? What do you guys do? How do you help people?
2: Yeah. So the name of the firm is Titan Investment Management. We're located at, um, in Indianapolis. Uh, it's kind of in the name. We're an investment management firm where I would say we're very different, or maybe most people don't realize this, where we're we're different is when you ask a given person who says has an IRA or an investment account or a 401k, what do you own? They don't have a clue. And typically when you look at what they own, they own like, mutual funds or ETFs. And if you're hiring Titan to go buy you a mutual fund or ETF that you could buy on your own, that bear in mind, you pay a fee for that mutual fund, regardless if you hire Titan or not, and pay Titan, I would ask, I would look at any client or prospect and say, why are you paying us? Mm. And so we do all that investing in-house. So to give you an example, when I say we own a company like Qualcomm, we in fact our clients own the company qualcomm not a mutual fund that owns qualcomm so right off the bat we tend to be astronomically cheaper the other thing and this is a fairly simplistic thing but it it matters to a lot of people is we own the exact same thing as our clients Mm -hmm. so when i say we own qualcomm i literally mean it i don't mean that Oh Tim, we're gonna put you in the growth fund, and Kenny, we're gonna put you in the value fund, and this person, we're gonna put you in the dividend fund. That doesn't make any sense. Um, you're hiring us for our discretion and our expertise. If we think whether this growth company, value company, div, whatever it is, we think is a good idea, it's a good idea for everybody, not yeah. just Tim. And for the people who would interject and say, well, you know, I want a customized solution because you know I'm, I'm north of 80 years old and I just can't take as much risk as when I was 30. You're 100% right, and it's you know the math is pretty easy. All we do is effectively prorate your risk profile based off what you say. So to give a quick mathematical example, if I say we own two percent Qualcomm, and Tim comes in here and says I only want to be about 50% in the market, that's fine. In your account, it's one percent, two percent times 0.5, and that sort of automation from an execution standpoint not only brings in technology that makes everybody's life astronomically easier it interjects a level of accountability because when i say either you know it went up or went down there's one por- one person to point the finger at it's not me <laughs> going ah we'll get rid of that bad mutual fund and we'll go buy this one no it's it's us it, it was our call and two in terms of transparency we all own the same thing right and those while dare i say simplistic things accountability and transparency are two very unique propositions that I don't know anybody else in this general area that does that. The last one, and now, you know, we tend not to talk about this one as much just because of the asymmetry of information. Just, it'd be like a plumber explaining to me about why they construct things the way they do. I believe them. They sound like they know what you're talking about, but I'm just kind of like, so, you know, some of this just might as well as be in Latin. So I'll, I'll be brief with this last one, but that's just our investment process. And what I mean by that is when I say we do all our investing in-house, the great thing is I can say that. The bad thing is that there's over 600,000 publicly traded options. So to sit here and say we analyze every single one, you know I'm lying. Anybody who says that, whether it be Vanguard or you know the guy on the corner, everybody's lying if they say they do that. What we can do, and this is part of what my background's in, is apply econometrics, aka algorithms. The idea of taking code and taking a 630,000 observation universe and filtering it down to a much more manageable observation subset that we can then actually analyze. And mm-hmm. so that is what, when people talk about like AI, for example, right now, AI has kind of already existed in terms of text and numbers as a means to filter, call it bad data from good data. i not to get off on a tangent, AI, where it's going in terms of image and video generation, that's great. But that is once again, where technology should already be used in an investment management practice to filter that observational universe of 600,000 down to a subset, you can actually analyze and say, say splitting a blade of grass, like we should buy MasterCard instead of Visa because of this. They're obviously very similar, but what specifically makes them different and what makes one potentially create alpha where the other cannot. And so that process is the other, the kind of that third peg of the stool that sets us apart from our competitors. I love it. So um, let's shift gears here a
1: little bit. Ken, I'd love to hear a story where someone pushed you or inspired you that you could do it, even though maybe you didn't think that you could and the impact that person had on you.
2: Yeah. So I would say that the my biggest cheerleader has been my wife. Mm. And so when we were when we were in Chicago, like it, I I had a great job. I like I said, I, I very much enjoyed my boss. I, I enjoyed the people I worked around. I have nothing but good things to say about Geneva. And but as I'm like kind of thinking this out, what does it take to accomplish XYZ? I think I can do this. And then You inevitably kind of start asking those people around you, kind of beginning with that person that's closest to you. In my case, my wife, like I brought up some of my, dare I say, insecurities or uncertainties to it all. And she was very quick to just kind of point out, where have you ever not done what you said you would do in the past? (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, well, never. And she's like, and all those times in the past where you've done something, you obviously could have failed, fallen on your face, it not worked out. And even on the instances where maybe you, dare I say, stubbed your toe along the way, you put your head down and went, why would you think this is anything different?
1: Yeah. And
2: so that was, that was a nice blessing to kind of have in my ear, so to speak. Yeah. What's your wife's name? Uh, Jordan. Jordan. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. What great, great support. It it makes a huge difference when we've got uh,
2: that support at home, doesn't it? Oh my God. Yeah. No, I was going to say, and that's, I mean, I mean, I, maybe we'll talk about this, maybe we won't, but like kind of the motivation of why you do this, I would also encourage the business owners, you need to know what that is. And if it's, I want to make a certain amount of money or achieve a certain amount of net worth. I mean, that's great. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but once you achieve that goal, say 10 years down the road, then what? You're just complacent. Like, and I know mine, that being my family is something that I would like to think will live well beyond me. Yeah. So, I'm sprinting through the finish line and I don't know where the finish line's at.
1: Yeah. I love it. Yeah. We, that's an exercise we do with our clients every year is to re-envision right. What do they want out of life that the business then has to pay for? Yeah. Yes. Yep. So Kenny, what's your biggest learning as a business owner?
2: Um, finding personnel. So Hmm like I said my my experience prior to Titan and this is predominantly what I still do on a day day-to-day basis is the analysis of the investments which I love to do um but given that's where all my back my track record is as well as my work history the idea of playing with others so to speak has never <laughs> been something I've had to do because I mean like to to be like to put this into context for a lot of people when you meet a financial advisor. You're meeting a salesman. That's, right. what, that's what they are. They are a rainmaker. And that's what we need them. I want them. I'm not saying I don't want them, but I'm the guy who historically was the person behind the curtain you never met, but was making all the decisions in terms of the investments. Yeah. And so now kind of coming out in front of that curtain, not only learning a new sort of approach in the sense of how to discuss this with people, but more importantly, find people that have that intangible ability to be charismatic, charming, confident, but not arrogant has, I've learned a lot about it. I've, made- <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I've, I've looked at the, like the discs, the Myers-Briggs, all the, the things, so to speak, to kind of help you zero in on, is this person a good candidate or not? Yeah. Yeah. While those are useful tools, that's all they are. It's a tool. And there is still a degree of intangibility that I find incredibly hard to quantify that (laughs) I'm still trying to figure out how to quantify. And you'll probably tell me I never will. Um, (laughs) But finding people that kind of meet that profile Titan's looking for is unfortunately harder than I would like it to be. Yeah.
1: Fair and and I've spoken with a lot of people that have that same challenge and and the the answer it's not easy but it's simple in that it's the same thing that you just described in terms of your business model right is once you implement a recruiting process and then you know, you tweak and adjust and adapt and modify the process and get it better over time right it starts to become a well-oiled machine. So we can talk offline about that, but we use DISC as well. I think it, you know, it is a great tool to help understand is somebody hard-coded for sales or are they more hard-coded for crunchy numbers, right? Right. Do they like talking to people or do they like, you know, playing with numbers? And, and so, yeah, it can be, it can be helpful there. The, the other thing that's critically important is that, you know, that we, are finding people that align with our culture and our values and our beliefs because we can teach skills we can't teach a cultural fit and we've all had we've all had the experience where we brought on the wrong person right and it's like oh no that oops
2: (laughs) yeah no i i mean i and this is a spoiler to anybody who were to ever talk to me my guys i have as well as the people i've interviewed i always ask to kind of I think this kind of encompasses my culture and kind of a soft way of asking, figuring out if you're a match is I'll say faith, family, work, rank. Mm-hmm. them, Like in terms of prep, just rank them. Yeah. Tell me, tell me one, two, three, which ones are which and why. And I, that gives me a good, dare I say, scope to kind of look, look into Tim in terms of who is Tim really rather than a guy that's just trying to apply for a job and, you know, yeah. make some money.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to to let everybody cheat, he just said it in the order he wants you to, he wants to hear you say it in. So just note yourself that if you're applying for a job. <laughs> uh, okay. You know, a lot of people don't catch on to that. <laughs> hey, Kenny, we know that business success doesn't happen in isolation. So tell us about one of your biggest challenges during the years and, and maybe a, a business owner or a colleague that came alongside you and helped you get through that.
2: Yeah, so it, it, I'm gonna circle back on uh, finding personnel and talking to some of the, kind of the people in my network, and them introducing me to headhunters, and then naturally those headhunters, kind of bringing people to the table. Um, one uh, one group I would specifically uh, kind of like to call out in this regard is is called the the Catalyst Program and Catalyst, I guess for short um Daniel Hans is the the owner of it what they effectively do is they're taking what I would like to think are high performing vets and helping them transition uh-huh. to civilian life uh-huh. and as a employer as as well as I would like to think what other employers are looking for obviously we want people to be smart uh, yeah we want we want good acumen who doesn't that's yeah. that's not really something up for debate but what I've noticed from this program as well as the candidates that come out of this program, a lot of those in kind of the two biggest intangibles, if I could, if I could measure this somehow, the ability, the ability of someone to be disciplined and have just mental grit mm. is invaluable. Cause to your point, I can't teach it. There's not a test, there's not a textbook I can give you that'll just voila, all of a sudden you've got <laughs> it because you, you've read a certain number of pages. But, you know, those men and women, because of the stuff they've fortunately and unfortunately have had to do, they have a degree of that discipline and grit that I don't think I, I don't know if you served, but you or I could not obtain by, you know, sitting in an office. Right, right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Next question here. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Um, pick three people in your business owner journey that you're most grateful for them being there for your business's growth who are those three people and how they help you
2: yeah so this so here you'll get a kind of my answer to the question i said i ask everybody and i, I don't know if you call the first one a, a person so to speak but i'll say it anyways one is god that's number one two is my wife three is my children and the reason it is in that order is because at the end, end of the day, and knock on wood, Lord willing, especially like for call it persons two and three, they will all extend beyond me. Mm. I want to make sure the people that are around me, as where well as I draw my motivation from, are not fixed earthly treasures of which maybe I could achieve tomorrow, maybe not. But if I were to hypothetically achieve them tomorrow, th- I don't want to have to think about then what? Mm. I want to know that no matter how fast or how far I run, that technically I never really kind of, there is no finish line, so to speak, but the people, you know, waiting at the finish line for you, you're going to keep running regardless. So that's, that's to me kind of the motivation behind it all. Yeah. I love it. That's awesome. As you
1: think about the next three to five years, what's the biggest challenge that you see that you're going to face in getting your, hitting your goals and who are the types of people you're going to need to solve that?
2: Uh, so once go personnel, finding advisors and, yeah. and what I mean in that, in that advisor, I'll, I'll talk about, so there's two. And the first one is advisor. And the main challenge that I'm going to have is that I want advisors, but given the geographic area we're in, the bulk of the advisors that are in this area kind of come from that brokerage world. Mm. And I, don't have a ton of time to unteach them all the bad habits
0: they've <laughs> acquired
2: over the past decade. So ideally I'll take, say, a veteran who has their degree, has shown, you know, discipline, but hasn't done it, as well as maybe a younger person who doesn't have a ton of work experience because at the end of the day, I can always teach the good habits. Yeah. It's really hard to waste time to unteach bad habits and then teach good habits. Sure, um, sure. So finding those candidates um, will be a challenge, and I know of the uh, headhunters I've worked in the past. I nothing great has really ever the, the the best the best stuff that's come across my desk are the people that have either a reached out to me directly. I didn't have to reach out to them. Sure, and that 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 goes for both. Like the Catalyst isn't technically a head hunting. Uh, It's a transition program. Like they reached out to me. Um, And two, the candidates that I've had success with are the ones that reached directly out to me. Mm. It wasn't somebody that had to be prompted by a headhunter to come talk to me. So, whether that, I, I, I don't really know what that future looks like, but if I could have my way, my goal is to hire somebody every six months between every six months at that cadence for the next five years. Okay. That's my, that's my goal.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, The other challenge or thing we're kind of focused on is obviously we have our unique value propositions, but now kind of opening small business owners eyes to the 401k world. So 401ks are, are a great thing, but the majority of Americans either, well, all, yeah, the majority of Americans don't know what their balance is don't know how, they're, how much they're contributing, don't know what they, what they own inside this 401k and have not a clue what that balance needs to be when they're, say, 65 and they're ready to exit mm-hmm. the workforce. Yet the majority of Americans have a 401k. So that, that's incredibly, it's unfortunately an incredibly complacent universe. And the majority of firms who oversee the 401k universe, they make a ton of money. So the idea of interjecting, dare I say, um, accountability, like, Tim, you need to do this. You need to do that. Let us do it for you because you're not, you're already paying us. You might as well let us do our thing. Why would I do that as a business owner when you're going to pay me as much as you otherwise would? And now I just made more work for myself. <laughs>
0: right. So given,
2: given that we're actually a fiduciary, we have to do that. We mm-hmm. don't get to just... Yeah, we'll get to it when we get to it. We have to do that. And getting into small businesses and kind of getting them to recognize that as well as um, this was a law that was passed at the end of 2022, Secure 2.0, there are a lot more rules now for a 401k in terms of mandatory enrollment, escalation in terms of contributions, all these things. And you as the employer, you're liable for making sure that's all done. And the majority of these small business owners you know, they're busy, busy running their business. Like you you talked about at the onset of this conversation, like some of the challenges of running a business, one of those back office being benefits. They're not, you know, they're, they're, they're busy running maybe like a, a general contracting. They don't have time right to to look at all this stuff and they outsource it with the idea that, you know, these people, will they'll tell me when I need to do something. But a lot of these people, especially in my universe are not fiduciaries. They don't have to tell you squat. And when something inevitably goes wrong, you may fire them because you're upset, but the liability still falls on you. Right. Yeah. And a lot of times these penalties are for every day you're out of compliance. It's a thousand dollars. And wow. I would ask any small business employer when was the last time you reviewed your 401k? Maybe semi-annually. All right. Well, 180 grand. That's <laughs> right. I, I mean, that's that's best case scenario under that, under this kind of what if we're talking about. So opening business owners' eyes to 401k's can be a lot more sophisticated, a lot more accountable and shed them of that liability that almost all of them are currently exposed to and they just don't know it. Kind of getting getting them to open their eyes because it's a fairly new thing. Like I said, it's only it's roughly a year old. So a lot of people are still just kind of you know they're they're running a million miles in terms of growing their business not on this thing right <laughs> yeah for sure so those will be those are kind of our two personnel and business developing that 401k side of things awesome last question
1: Kenny Jim Rohn an awesome business guru says we'll be we become the average of the five people that we spend the most time with so as you think about that what advice would you have for business owners who are just assuming that they need to do it on their own and, and not, you know, not ask for help or not build relationships with others.
2: Um, surround yourself with people who typically that receive no compensation from you. So, you know, that the words that they speak to you mm-hmm. are honest. And ideally if this person also has, dare I say, a cares for you, not only is it truth, but it's truth and love. Mm-hmm so that that is what i think would help separate any business owner because to sit here and say i'm going to surround myself with maybe other business owners i do business with they got a conflict of interest and i'm not accusing them of being bad guys or gals it's just all else equal sure they do and at the end of the day i mean we're all humans and we respond to incentives both good and bad I would much rather have people around me that those incentives have been diluted next to nothing and well maybe their only incentive is is that as I spend time with them they're better off mm-hmm. because you know they're they're going to speak honestly and like the like tighten the thing that makes money they almost look at that as a bad thing cuz it's time away from them mm-hmm. so it's it's a hedge almost yeah in that perspective so those are the kind of people that kind of can echo that truth and love is what I'm looking for.
1: Love it. Kenny, sounds like you've had some pretty incredible people in your business owner journey. If they were all here on the show today, what would you want to say to them?
2: Oh gosh, what would I say to them? Um, thank you first for all the, you know, all the people who've uh, kind of helped me along my journey. And two, like I said, I'm, I know my ends. I'm not going to stop. I will keep running. I will skin my knee, but I will get up and I will keep running.
1: I love it. It, it reminds me of uh, learning how to ride a bicycle and how, mm-hmm. <laughs> how painful that was with my scraped knee and bumped elbow. But eventually I figured it out and <laughs> never looked. Yeah,
2: back. No, well, it's like, I, I look at like the world around me and like I have all girls at home is like, I obviously I want them to be independent and I want them to be able to do things on their own. But I've noticed like, cause I only, I grew up with a brother. So, you know, him falling and skinning his knee was like, yeah. get up, get up. Your <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But when a nine-year-old girl falls and she's mine, I'm not, <laughs> not nearly as tough as I thought I was.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Kenny, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks so much for being on the show.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Self-Made is a Myth show with your host, Coach Tim Campsall. Please help spread this movement by liking and subscribing to our show and following us on Facebook and LinkedIn or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. To join our movement, go to BeMadTogether.com. Okay, folks, that's a wrap. Please pay it forward and be sure to tune in next time to the Self-Made is a Myth podcast.